Hi, welcome to episode 8 of Vague Zone. I am one of your co-hosts, Thomas, and with me always is... Daniel. And what are we talking about this week, Daniel? Uh, this week we were talking about Martin Scorsese's uh, 1985 movie, After Hours. Nice. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I don't have the synopsis in front of me, unfortunately, but I was just going to ask, why did you pick this movie, since this was your choice? Uh, so, yeah, so we've been working our way through The Purge. Um, so for those who are just joining us, the way this show has been working is, uh, we're watching The Purge movies, and we'll kind of, uh, take detours into other movies that might be semi-related, maybe they aren't, who knows? Uh, but yeah, we just want to kind of break it up so we're not stuck watching one franchise, but, uh, sticking to one franchise is kind of what carries us through the podcast. Um, and in talking about The Purge which is a, a series of movies that are all, you know, largely they all focus on uh, just the Purge Night, uh, this 12-hour period of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were discussing one of these movies, I brought up the movie After Hours, which also takes place uh, mostly in one evening. Um, and, yeah, this movie, I just fucking love this movie. <laughs> it's a Scorsese... I feel like a lot of people, when we think of Scorsese movies, we think of... Um, you know, his Robert De Niro stuff, more recently his Leonardo DiCaprio stuff. Yeah, uh, it's like the mob movies and like, yeah, his, yeah, his defined like style. Yeah, and so uh, this one, it feels very different from those movies. Um, I actually do have the synopsis in front of me, so I can go through that real quick. But it's, um, an ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho who he met that evening at a coffee shop. Um and I was going to say, this movie gets so many things right as far as, like, a Tinder date that just goes terribly, terribly wrong. But, like, this movie being set in, like, the 80s just nails so many, like, modern things within that first, like, within the setup. There's just so many things that are just accurate and just, like, cringy and, like, really strange for, like, yeah, this good comedy beats in this really, like, Scorsese movie. So, yeah, it's very peculiar. So I met my wife right before Tinder took off. So I am not familiar with that at all. You are going to have to fill me in with some of these stories, hopefully on the show. Uh, Yeah, maybe not quite to the extremes that um, this, what is the main character's name again? Um, uh, uh, Paul. Paul Paul goes through some some extremes, not quite like that, but some some like very weird, awkward moments they nail absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I've definitely had, we should have like a little bit of story time session after we uh, discuss the movie because (laughs) I definitely have some... Some experiences where you go out not knowing where the night is going to take you, and it just kind of feels like the night keeps going. Right, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, kind of to... Well, actually, before we, before we break down the plot, tell me your thoughts. What did, what did you think of this movie? Oh, I liked it a lot. Like, you kind of... You said this is one of your favorite Scorsese movies, so I was like, okay, I had to kind of take that into account and make sure that I wasn't biased going into it Mm -hmm. because I was like a little skeptical because you know Scorsese has a lot of movies and some of them are considered the greatest movies of all time if that some people you know consider that and so I was like okay I need to have a little bit of healthy skepticism going into this and I was super surprised I love this movie this movie is fantastic (laughs) like yeah like like the the setup was really relatable and i would even joke and say it's kind of triggering in some moments that were just like super awkward and cringy and just dead on and very accurate and then yeah it just unfolds and it turns into this weird existential farce that's just like it's kind of dreadful but also beautiful but also very of the time with 
Yeah, Cheech and Chong are just perfect in it. It's just, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I, this is a movie where, like, knowing that we were going to have to talk about it, I've kind of been struggling with how do we do the sum up of what this plot is because I, I, I feel like the first half hour you can kind of talk about, like, what's going on, but... I'm really happy that the synopsis that we've been given doesn't spoil anything because uh, there's like this movie takes a shift, like a hard shift that like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. yeah this movie, <laughs> I fucking love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I definitely agree. And yeah, it, it, I, it has like kind of levels. Yeah. It works in this, what's kind of like the Dante's Inferno type of thing where it goes deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like, I, I keep thinking of it as uh, kind of like the Odyssey or something. Like, it, it does feel mythic the way yeah. that, um, uh, I, I think I heard Scorsese even say that he was really intrigued by the idea of someone getting lost in the underworld, you know? Someone, like, journeying through Hades. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's really, it's so, it's so good that it's like one of his earlier movies. So yeah, he does a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And yeah, so we should probably break down a little bit of the plot before we keep hyping it up. Because uh, yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about this. Um, totally, totally. So yeah, basically what happens is he he's this word processor. He gets off work. He goes to uh, this diner, this coffee shop. And this girl oversees him reading. And she comments about like how she likes his that book and uh, i think she even like recites some lines from it or something like that she's mm. very familiar with uh with what he's reading and uh so she sits down with him they have a little a little chat she points out like the waiter is kind of weird he's like practicing dance moves at uh at the front of the the cafe and uh and she, she how does it how does it work because like how does she actually does she just mention that her roommate is an artist yeah, they kind of stumble around. I think they mention, yeah, like, it starts with her ex, and, like, they talk about the Wizard of Oz, and, it, like, the conversation well, kind of, like... I think like, that's I later that, after they've, like, started started having their date. Initially, when they first meet each other, I think she just says, my roommate makes these... She's an artist. She makes these paperweights in okay, Soho. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forget exactly the rhythm of the conversation yet, but it's definitely, it's scored with a nice classical song, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, lofty, and so, yeah, kind of rearranged how the details came out. Yeah, and so, yeah, that is another weird thing about this movie. Like, this movie feels so packed. It has so much shit going on in it, but it, and it, and it gets really chaotic, but it never feels, like, overly stuffed or that it's, like, hard to track anything that's happening. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyways, yeah, like... Uh, this woman, her name's Marcy, she's played by Rosanna Arquette, uh, she says her roommate sells these, uh, bagel and cream cheese plaster paperweights, and if he's interested, it, he should, uh, give her roommate a call, she, like, um, so she, like, jots down the number, and, oh, <laughs> she gives him the number, and then she leaves, and I think this is the first sign we get from this movie that things are not gonna go the way this character wants them to go. Because he pulls out a pen to write down the phone number in his book, and the pen doesn't work. And yeah. it feels like a beautiful, small moment of frustration before, uh, basically before the storm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, a little meet cute. Like, oh, he, he has to get, like, get the pen from the quirky um, guy at the register now. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it works out kind of very, in a small way before. Yeah, yeah it's like a... <laughs> It's a minor but very sinister uh, frustration. Um, yes, yeah. 
so then he gets he he gets home he gives the roommate a call she uh he mentions that he met marcy and the roommate her name is kiki she puts uh paul paul on, on the phone with marcy uh and then that's when they sort of work out this date marcy says can you come over and paul looks at the clock it's already 11 30 p.m and he says sure uh so he takes a cab he's uh got 20 dollar bill takes a cab on the way there and this is also when we get like kind of our first um like we we get sort of a exaggerated scene like uh it's it's scorsese is now we've moved from realism to kind of the bizarre because during this taxi cab ride he's uh he's ramping it up so yeah yeah it feels like the taxi's like moving a lot faster than it should be it feels like a george miller like mad max scene or something like that um, yeah, if this movie had, like, a loading screen for the craziness that is going to follow for the next hour, this is just like, okay, this is, like, our transition. You're going through this hallway of just, like, a nice little little, little wacky cab ride to kind of just, like, wet your palate. <laughs> yeah, it is, like, the transition from one reality to another. Um, yeah, and, and it works perfectly. And um, it's, like, yeah, in this, in this very strange, like, yeah, like, the way it's shot, he's kind of, like, dwarfed in the back of this cab and he's just kind of like sliding back and forth and yeah, yeah he's flying just... <laughs> around yeah so some people some people have compared this movie to the wizard of oz because there is a, a wizard of oz element that is is coming up but um yeah that mm -hmm. this scene is sort of like the tornado he's being tossed around inside of this cab the way dorothy gets tossed around inside of her house perfect yeah that's inside. that's so good yeah that, that it works so well yeah. um but yeah during this this wild taxi cab ride uh he has the window rolled down and his 20 dollars bill goes flying out so once again like the night is not going the way he wants and you know he goes up to this uh the soho loft um kiki the woman who the artist who lives there drops the keys down to him and we kind of get this shot where he's looking up and the keys are coming down from like i don't know how high this building is but it's high enough that if these keys just drop down on his head they might kill him um yeah the distance is, is interesting yeah yeah sure. they kind of I, I don't know if they exaggerate it or what but like i think when the keys hit the ground too like they come with a like the sound is a little more pronounced are you paul yeah your catch Yeah, and also before you go on i was speaking of pronounced the like the cab rider like when they just when he stops a car like he turns around his hat has like captain on it and he just yeah. like glares at him as he's kind of like doing like a very michael Sarah kind of like blumbering he's like oh i'm sorry like what kind of fell and he's just like just staring at him and just like yeah he's like I, not I amused that. at all yeah <laughs> yeah i love that interaction so much so uh so paul gets inside uh i think marcy has run to the drugstore so like paul has a little bit of concern about that like is she okay and uh, Kiki says, oh, yeah, she's she's dealing with it, I think she says. Mm. Uh, Kiki uh, is working on, like, a plaster um, sculpture of a man screaming. He's, like, recoiled, like, looking up at the sky, and he looks terrified. So this is almost like another, like, bad omen for Paul's night. Um, and she asked yeah. Paul if he could help out and, like, take over for her so she could take a break and, like, just sort of paper mache this this uh sculpture uh do you have something no I, I was just gonna mention like it just the way it's kind of presented is also just it's 
very, uh, I don't want to say eerie, that's not the right word for it, but I just like the, the New York apartment and the way it's laid out and how it just feels kind of just empty and there's just, like, this kind of really gorgeous, like, model-esque, like, woman, like, kind of just, like, covered in plaster and she's just, like, making this, like, piece of expressionistic art and, like, he walks up in his nice suit and he's just, like, yeah, like, the, the culture clash feels yeah. very, like, obvious where he's I just, like, he's trying to relate, yeah. She's just, like, wearing a bra, right? And, like, a like a pencil skirt or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, yeah, she's, like, this messy, grungy artist. And he's just, like, yeah, like, I'm waiting for my other, like, blonde date to, like, show up. And so, yeah, just, just it just feels very tense. And I think they just nailed the, the feel of it really well. Yeah, and it's, like, with his suit, he feels very uptight. So there's, like, this contrast between the two. Um, and, it's, and it's a play on, like, the yuppie culture, to be correct, right? Yeah, I, I mean, well, because this movie starts with, like, the boredom of office work. It starts with him at the office, and he's, like, training someone. And this person that he's training is telling him, like, oh, I don't want to be here forever. Like, which is kind of a fucked up thing to tell someone on what I'm assuming is this guy's first day. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's, like, clearly uh, Paul doesn't want to be here either. He's, like, he's he's over it, and he's escaping into, in this movie, he's escaping into the night and you know, trying to alleviate the boredom of his everyday life, and what he ends up with is a fucking nightmare. Uh, yeah. And but... I think I think it's really nice that it's kind of, like, accented with, like, as this guy is talking to him and explaining this, like, boring thing, and he wants to do, like, the classical music kind of creeps in, and then that, like, that leads us into the journey with, like, meeting the girl and going on to the date, and so this, this song is like, oh, yeah, he just is kind of just, like, drifting into this thing, and, yeah, and it, it just turns into this absolute just yeah <laughs> and uh so yeah getting back to the loft um yeah. he decides to help out with the sculpture a bit he gets a little dirty uh kiki offers to like uh washes his shirt she gives him a new one um he ends up telling her a story they're like sitting together on the couch he tells her a story about um oh he gives her a massage because she's like kind of uh she's like kind of tight from like having worked on the sculpture all day yeah and um which is also kind of weird. <laughs> I was like, what happens if Marcy comes home and she sees you giving a massage to her roommate? Like, this is a little strange. But... Yeah, and it's, it's like, aware of that, too, because he is definitely, he's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, he's not super gung-ho about it. He definitely, like, creeps into it. And he's, he's like, also okay. I got... He's also telling her that she has, like, a, a great body and stuff like that. True, um, yeah. But then she mentions that... So he tells her she has a great body, and she says, yeah, no scars. Some some women I know are covered in scars. Uh, I'm just yeah. I'm just giving you a heads up or something like that. Like, she says something like, I'm just letting you know. And so we plant this idea in his head that Marcy has scars. Uh, and then he tells a story about being a child and having to go to the burn ward for some reason. Um and how he had his eyes covered, and the doctor told him that... Oh, he had just, like, had a... I think I want to... I want to say he had, like, a tonsils procedure or something like that. And, uh... Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, he has tonsils taken out. But they had to take him through the burn ward, and they put this blindfold on him, and they told him that if he took the blindfold off, they would have to do the procedure all over again. Um, so we've established that he has, like, this... We've established that Marcy might have scars, and that he has a fear of burns, specifically. Yeah. Uh... And then so, you know, Marcy gets back, and I'm just going to kind of sum up the, like, the, the rest of Act 1 pretty quickly, but, um, uh, yeah, there's sort of this tension where Paul thinks she has these, 
he's under the impression that she has these burns, that she has these scars. He's even, like, going through her stuff when she leaves the room because she seems to be dealing with some stuff. Um, yeah. And he finds a book about... Uh, is it about treating scars or like what is it's about burns and like burn victims yeah I, I think well there's two instances where he finds something like there's like earlier in the night where yeah he like I think it's a I think it's just cream I think he finds just a burn cream yeah like which a is, medicine which we it. assume she got at the at the uh, drugstore that she just came from yeah and it's also this is accented like you mentioned drugstore this is a note one of my favorite little parts of this early part of this movie is like kind of the way that phone calls feel very important and very heavy. Every time a phone rings, it's like it kind of demands the sound design and yeah. everything kind of go to goes towards the phone. And especially in this moment when um, she calls and then she like goes down to the hallway and she opens it up and it's like this orange light kind of hits her. And like, yeah, there's like this thing where she's like at the drugstore. It's like, yeah, like just well, it's okay. Like he's here, he's waiting for you. And so like that kind of secret conversation is then accented by when she actually gets there and then she goes to take the shower and then he's like looking around and then like he can hear them whispering in the next room and then he like kind of eases in and then she like walks in yeah like it's like the way that they have the conversations kind of just like right on the edge of being hearable so it's just like you have to kind of lean in and do that ear hustling thing and yeah it makes paul kind of do some like some shady kind of ear hustling kind of like a little approach to getting more information and so yeah because there's like these moments of tension between like people having phone conversations where he's not in the room and he's having to kind of like eavesdrop but then also yeah. there's like a scene where marcy goes to take a shower and the phone rings and there's almost this tension of like okay well do i answer it like yeah yeah here i think uh she gets back the phone rings again and they both just sit there and like the phone just keeps ringing and nobody answers it yeah it explores that agonizing space of being in someone else's home and then other people are contacting them but you like you yeah. just have they no have agency yeah they have this other life while you are trying to insert yourself into their life yeah and then this is like yeah the middle of the night and so yeah you start getting paranoid about who is this person why is this guy calling <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, so Paul and Marcy end up having this date. Um, they go get some coffee. She tells him about how she's actually married. Uh, and she was only, she was only with her husband for a few days, I believe she said, that uh, she was very young. And that when they had sex for the first time, she was a virgin. And yeah. he... Her husband was obsessed with movies. He was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz in particular. Yeah, that's where it comes in, yeah. And, yeah, this is where we get our Wizard of Oz reference, and that every time he would orgasm, he would say, Surrender Dorothy. And it got too much for her, and that's when she, <laughs> quote, broke it, broke the whole thing off. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is when we get introduced to Wizard of Oz, and so that's why some people have decided to take this Wizard of Oz analysis with this movie. Um but, yeah, this all kind of gets too much for Paul. He he realizes they're probably going to sleep together, but he's obsessed with the idea that maybe she's covered in burns. So he ends up being a complete dick to her, and he takes off. And I think that is kind of the end of Act 1, and that is when shit starts to get crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so any discussion after that will be spoilers. Um, but I don't think we necessarily need to break down the plot. Um, I think we can kind of just get into a discussion where, you know, 
we're we're willing to spoil things but yeah let's do it yeah <laughs> um so yeah like i said i fucking love this movie uh this movie the i find the pacing really interesting because so, so i was reading a little bit of behind the scenes stuff and scorsese i guess the first cut was two and a half hours and he had yeah, that's wild yeah he had screened it for an audience and he said it was a disaster that like it was like an awful awful experience and so he's he was watching um like old comedies like uh fuck, like his girl friday and stuff like that and these are all like 80 minute comedies uh, and they're all like yeah, yeah. very snappy um so he like shaved it down to like an hour 45 and if you look on youtube you can find like maybe like nine minutes of deleted scenes that are, are kind of interesting but yeah okay are they do you know if they're from like the beginning of the film or towards like the more the i would say chaotic end yeah the, the deleted scenes are are kind of interesting so at one point okay so yeah we're in spoiler territories so just to set up yeah. some of this conversation i guess we do have to cover the plot um, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, when did he like get to the bar? Because when he gets to the bar, that's kind of when it gets to like this I, yeah, really I like, feel like, state for me. Yeah, that is like when it it is enhanced from just a shitty situation to surrealism. Um, yeah, yeah. Because so what happens is he's super mean to Marcy. Uh, he leaves. Uh, he can't get home. Uh, he tries to take a. Um, the train home but the train the yeah, fair has storming. gone up yeah that's right yeah it's like storming out yeah. yeah the fair has gone up after midnight and he can't afford it anymore because he only has he doesn't have the right change um so he ends up somehow he ends up going oh i think that's yeah man i'm fucking confused but i think that's no, when he, he goes he, to the he goes bar. Into the, no, he goes into the subway, he tries to hop the turnstile, and then gets mm-hmm. stopped by, like, the, the, aggress- the aggressive guy. Then the cop is like, get the hell out of here. And then, yeah, he goes back up there, and he's just like, I'm just trying to get home. And he's, like, he's like really pleading at that point. And then, yeah, he goes to the bar, and then, yeah, he yeah. starts to talk to this bartender about just needing a way to get home. And then, yeah, it gets really absurd with the waitress once she slips him the little bill with the SOS on it, basically. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the waitress says she hates her job, that he needs to help her. He goes to the restroom. There's graffiti on the wall of a a shark biting a man's penis off, <laughs> which is, like... So, this, yeah, this is, like... These are when we get some of the surreal elements where it's, like, this is just a caution sign, basically. Um, yeah. He tells the bartender, like hey, you know, I need bus fare. The bartender says, I'll spot you. But the bartender gets a call that, or uh, no, no, someone, someone like bangs on the door saying something about like how there's been a, like three burglaries tonight in the neighborhood. And the the yeah. bartender doesn't know if he turned his, uh, his uh, security system on or not. So he makes a deal with Paul, like, hey, if you go check out my security system, make sure it's on, uh, I'll give you, oh, you, you'll be able to get me a key to open up the... Um, the cash register so i can give you the change you need for the bus so yeah and i think that scene is so amazing because not only like there's some physical comedy that i think it happens right before that when he's just trying to like open the register and he's like kicking the register yeah he's like beating the shit out of it (laughs) yeah he's like going to town on this register that won't open but also when he's like talking to paul about this whole key thing like his keychain the bartenders has like this little skull head on it and he's kind of like dangling he's like unsure Yeah, he's, like, unsure if he wants to give it to him or not. He's kind of, like, going back and forth. And I was like, yeah, it's, like, a scene in a video game when someone's about to give you this quest that's just a little too above your level. And you're like, I'm not ready for the skull key yet. Yeah, because he's like, I don't know you at all. And then Paul's like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my keys. You can have everything I own if I don't come back. 
so they make the yeah. deal. So Paul goes to the bartender's house, uh, apartment building, uh, make sure the security system's working. He decides to use the ba- bathroom while he's there, and he ends up clogging the toilet, and fluid yeah. leaks everywhere. Um, <laughs> which is, like, not really... There's no repercussions for that later on, uh, which is Yeah, weird. I thought that was going to turn into a thing, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, this is just yet another shitty thing happening to this person. Um, as he's on his way out of the, the building, some of the other occupants uh, notice him, and they think... They say like we, you don't live here. Like who do you know? And he's like, oh, I know, I know Tom. And they're like, oh, there's a lot of Toms who live here. Like which Tom? And he's like, I don't know his last name. And so they're like, interrogating him because there's been so many burglaries. So um, as he's on his way out, he sees two people, Cheech and Chong. Uh, they are carrying <laughs> a television and a sculpture, and the sculpture is the same sculpture that Kiki was working on earlier in the film, where it's a man screaming. Um, yeah, and they're like inconspicuously like putting it into the back yeah, of the van they're loading with it a lot of other van. junk, <laughs> with like a lot of other junk in the back of it. And so he says like, "Hey, where'd you get that?" And then they drop everything and take off running. So uh, yeah, I'm just summarizing the whole fucking thing now. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it <laughs> to tip the but iceberg. It's like, on it, but there's so much shit going on in this movie that it's like hard to talk about any specific thing without any context. And everything yeah, is I contextual agree. because everything is connected. Like, it is such a tightly written movie. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's this, uh, there's this like, writing philosophy that is... Uh, I, I remember seeing um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone talk about. Like, they give a lecture somewhere where it's just there for storytelling. And they're not the people who came up with this. They just happen... This is just happened to be the video I saw. It was them talking about it. So, so there's there for storytelling, and then there's and then storytelling. And then storytelling is when you say, yeah, I went to the grocery store and there was a terrorist attack and then there was an earthquake uh, (laughs) and then I met a woman. Um, Therefore, storytelling is like, oh, I went to the grocery store and as I was walking through the door, I tripped and I hurt my knee and a bunch of people came rushing over and, um, you know, one of them was a nurse and I managed, we, you know, got to talking and I managed to get her number. And so like everything is leading to the next thing. So you could be like, okay, like I went to the grocery store, I hurt myself. Therefore, some people came to me. Therefore, I spoke to them and struck up a conversation and got to know them. Like everything, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, every, yeah, everything is consequential. Um, so this movie there's so much fucking shit in it, but it doesn't feel like and then storytelling. I didn't get that sense, at least. Did you? Yeah, no, I didn't get that sense. I think, yeah, as it was sort of getting towards the end, I had this feeling of like, okay, either this could be very tragic or it can be very cyclical. And so I think that's also a reason why I was thinking about it with you in mind. So I was like, okay, this maybe have some time loop kind of properties with it as well, because like there's an element of like, danger and it's like him being like you know really like kind of you know running for his life towards the last like 20 30 minutes of it where i'm like okay it's like is he actually gonna get out of this but then yeah the 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 circumstances everything leads up perfectly to yeah him kind of ending up back in his seat and i was like okay yeah It, it like it makes a very strange point but yeah it's it's very i don't know um it's very ponderous and so yeah it's not very direct but yeah i feel like it's making some statement of kind of like if you keep going the world will keep going and so like at what point do you just like 
like how do you like put the brakes on something like this in this like theoretical situation yeah so you said you with me in mind you were thinking about a time loop situation what does that mean you said you're like really you're a big fan of like time loop movies and like that's oh yeah i guess i have been talking about that a lot lately i I wasn't even thinking about that (laughs) yeah and so it like it definitely feels like the like the very very worst one day off you have from like okay like i'm just gonna go home and possibly follow this interesting date thread of the evening and then it just turns this into the uh, like an odyssey that winds you back up into your seat at work the next day and like your entire outlook on everything has changed you're completely existential you know about life and death and everything you're not interested in (laughs) chasing women or sex or anything like that you know you're just happy to be alive and so yeah that's kind of what paul goes through he goes through this extreme all these extreme circumstances which are all just like yeah like it just it feels very fantasy and very just like yeah we're gonna test you and it's it's yeah it's kind of like a an outer power is testing him so yeah it feels like a time loop kind of a, a very dark out of control time loop that only happens once basically versus like okay like i'm not gonna do that anymore i'm just gonna sit at my desk and yeah you know, be boring okay so instead of describing everything that happens in this plot what we're gonna do is just edit in the scene where Griffin Dunn as Paul describes how his night has gone. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Why don't you just go home? Well, I've been asking myself that one all night long. So, so what happened? Why can't you? All right. I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. And she gave me her phone number. So when I got home, I gave her a call. She said to come on over. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. Then I got to know this girl, and I didn't really get along with her that well. It didn't really work out, so I left. I tried to take a subway tonight, but the fare went up. Did you know that, that the fare went up? Yes. You knew that? I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about that. So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender, a really nice guy who wanted to lend me the money. I mean, he really wanted to give me the money, but I mean, they'd actually purchased this piece of work here, you know? I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about that. Now, she's also pissed off at me, and for this, I don't blame her at all, for the way I treated her friend, and it was inexcusable, so I marched right in there to apologize, but she'd already killed herself. I was too late. So I remembered that, and he was just about to give me the money when all of a sudden his phone rang. His girlfriend killed herself tonight. Huh? Is that a coincidence? No, because the same girl who I came downtown to see was dead too. That's because they're the same person. They're both dead. I couldn't believe that. Now, he didn't know that I knew that I came down to, you know, his girlfriend. Because, I mean, he would have he would have taken my face and he would have he just smashed it. Luckily, there was this girl who was there who witnessed the whole thing who let me use her phone. Really nice about it, too. Let me use the phone. That was it. Just use it. Pick it up and put it down. Pick it up and put it down. So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? Well, I think a good thing to kind of circle back to is, like, the male odyssey kind of thing that's kind of going on is it's a little bit obvious that there's a, I don't know, like, a sexual um, conquest kind of thing that kind of starts him off and it goes very awry. And then we have, like, yeah, like the image of, like, the shark biting the penis off is very, like, is, I don't know, it's... That seems like a very deliberate image to have in the bathroom that he looks at, and then uh, I don't know, there's other. Yeah, there's like, like a, there's a lot of ways they could have chose to represent some sort of sinister 
uh, idea or like like this this weird imposition onto this man. But they specifically chose a man getting his penis bitten off. Like, yeah, it ties into the whole thing of like, yeah, he just went out hoping he would get laid. But so many of his problems that occur through this movie are the result of his interactions with women. Yeah, and I there's a really curious moment when he, he goes back and he finds that she's dead and he's like looking at her body and like he like finds the tattoo of the skull with the the top hat on it and it like links us back to the bartender. Yeah, and like and yeah, like there's this this weird thing where he's like he's there and he's like hanging out at the bar when he like could just go like I'm like okay just go home dude like you're like you're done like you can just get your keys and leave but he kind of meanders a little bit and like yeah yeah he wastes time like yeah like when he finds out so when the bartender finds out that marcy has killed herself like he he's sitting at the bar they're having a conversation he could have just asked for the keys immediately but instead there's enough time that you know uh this situation can go awry and it does so it's like yeah and this is he's got to get his priorities in order (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, like, this is the second time that he's there because the way the, the kind of the misfortune plays out, like, he's in the brain, he finds solace in the bar, he makes the deal, and then he kind of goes off and gets in like a little bit of trouble. Like he he comes back, he's like kind of finished that quest. Like he had the the weird little interaction with the uh, the girl that you said you wrote down like Beehive. Yeah, <laughs> Julie. Um, yeah, yeah, he has that weird little thing with Julie. And, yeah, he, like, is in this moment where, like, she is just, like, not going to let him go. And then, like, yeah, I'm like, is this movie kind of criticizing, like, that one guy that's, like, okay, you're just going to kind of not know when to quit. And then you're just going to, like, get trapped inside of this, you know, 60s kind of, like, out-of-date nightmare with this <laughs> this, <laughs> this girl's, like, playing, like, oldies. And, like, you're just, like, you can't leave. Now you have to eat lemon squares or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love how fucking miserable he is. And then she just yeah. puts the monkeys on. And she's like, you like the monkeys? And she's dancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of, yeah, in The Purge, when she's like, yeah, let's turn the news on. Let's just party. Like, it's fine. And he's just like, no, like, I think my night is over now. Like, I, I'm really just done. And, yeah, then she has some moments where, you, like, she just kind of gets super emotional super quick. And... Yeah, I thought this movie was like it's just kind of criticizing like the women, or is it like is it criticizing him for just kind of just like not giving up? And so yeah, I thought it well, posed I, some interesting questions. I mean, so, yeah, it is... he's at the bar. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say it was like so yeah, when he finally gets back to the bar for the second time after like it closes down and reopens back up, I'm like, okay, dude, just go home, don't meander. And yeah, then he hangs out, and then we find out that yeah, the, the, yeah, Marcy has is, died, and it's Tom's yeah. girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's yeah the fucking scene. So instead of all that shit, uh, where I was summarizing the movie, I'm just gonna edit in the clip where he where Paul is telling the gay man that like the who that tried to pick him up as a prostitute. I think uh, yeah, where he's just <laughs> telling him how his night has gone. Uh, yeah, that's a great scene too. <laughs> <laughs> like because sometimes yeah, I was like watching this movie and I was like, why don't like he would end up in a Paul would end up with someone he would end up with like julie or he would end up with um gail the woman who drove the ice cream truck and i and i would think to myself like why don't you just tell them how your night has gone and like why you're running out of patience but it's such a fucking hard night to summarize <laughs> like so yeah, much shit goes exactly on. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah yeah and it's 
so perfect that we get a scene where he kind of explains this entire thing into an excruciating detail. And I think there's yeah. even moments of that that are in the deleted scenes. Like, there's, like, more shit that he says. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, That's great. Yeah. Man, this fucking movie. Um, yeah. Also, do you think this movie is, like, making a commentary by having, like, the all, like, kind of, like, the supporting characters kind of all be gay? Like, it's like there's... There's a lot of, the, yeah, homosexuality in this movie, which I think is interesting. I mean, it was the 80s, and Soho was, like, an artist uh, area. So, like, I'm not, I don't know how familiar you are, you are with New York. I, I've only been there a couple times. Not really. But, I, yeah, I think it's, I think, in my opinion, the way I received it, it was doing it in a progressive way, where it's like, okay, we're going to have that be an aspect of it. There's going to be, like, the punks, and it's going to be kind of, like, this yuppie kind of in a the fringe side of New York and kind of just being like pushing him to his comfort limits, so to speak. Yeah, it's yeah. So Soho, it was I think um, it was like a lot of warehouses and like open, more like open floor plan kind of areas. And yeah. at one point, uh, I want to say in like the sixties, uh, rent was really cheap there, so a lot of artists moved in and they built these sort of illegal living situation so i think that's what's going on with kiki um okay but yeah it is interesting that this movie kind of treats uh gay people openly gay people like when he's at the bar there's like two men making out as just kind of like a fact of life it doesn't really seem to make any sort of judgment call on them it's just like yeah this is part of the environment this is yeah yeah the the couple that finds him at the bartender's house that first confronts him is like they're oh yeah i forgot about that yeah it's like they—they're not like stated as a couple, but like they—they sort of resemble it a little bit. And so I don't want to be sound like an asshole by that, but like I think that's what the movie's kind of trying to say. Yeah, like, yeah, like the way they're they, dressed, it like signals that they're like homose- '80s homosexuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like that's that's the way to put it. Yeah, like just <laughs> in the like kind of dated way. And so yeah, they team up and they lead the whole coalition of like the entire neighborhood of people that team of like to go after him and so yeah, I'm like okay yeah like it's like this is this is the neighborhood and it's, it's dope like these like, they all kind of team up and it's just all of these weird people that have kind of not been wronged by him but just like have sort of c- kind of bumped into him yeah just, well like, they, they all yeah. like <laughs> they believe he's the burglar so yeah yeah um one of my favorite moments in this movie is when he is on like a fire escape he's like you know, running away from these... I think he's on a fire escape. He's running away from this angry mob. And through a window, he sees a man and a woman arguing, and the woman shoots the man several times. And he just says, I'm probably going to be blamed for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. I love... So good. I love, like... Yeah, I love how surreal this movie is, uh, and how it's like kind of a slow de- descent into surrealism, just by incorporating all of these weird aspects, like the shark graffiti, like the dancing waiter, that shooting, uh, this recurring imagery of the skulls that we talked about. Um, there's also a scene where, when he's talking to Julie, the woman with the beehive haircut that we're talking about, um, he notices that her bed is surrounded in mouse traps. And <laughs> yeah. at one point she says, I have a gift for you. And she gives him a plaster um, cream bagel and cream cheese, which is the, yeah. the sculpture that Kiki makes. Uh, and as she presents it to him, we hear one of the mouse traps go off and he looks over and there's a mouse like trapped in one of the traps. And 
He doesn't even really acknowledge it. Yeah, I think that scene is so great. And it's also kind of surreal. I was reading about this movie after watching it, too, and they think they kind of mentioned there's some allusions to castration kind of with like the mouse traps around the bed for some like hmm. i mean i guess reason. assuming that like <laughs> this woman is into him like that is made very clear um if they were to have sex it would be on that bed probably <laughs> and yeah. it's surrounded by traps uh yeah, yeah that like is a, like yeah, the bed that is like an art installation <laughs> yeah and also not to go back too far you talked about the um, the cup the woman that shoots the husband I don't know if it's the same couple that we see a little bit earlier where they're, like, having sex. He's, like, I, I think that's what happens, where he's, like, looking out the window oh. when he's just kind of... I, I didn't know if it was the same... I think, yeah, I, think I didn't the put same that couple. together. Maybe it is, yeah. Where he's, like, yeah, he's, like, hanging out, meandering in, uh, in the, the, the part in Marcy's apartment earlier in the movie, and he, like, sees this couple having sex, and he's, like, okay. I thought that was, like, okay. Like, they're alluding to some sort of interaction that's going to happen later. And then, yeah, we see them at the dinner table and she just, like, just shoots some cold-blooded in the, in yeah. the, in the Several in the times. I was just like, oh. yeah. And, like the, and I was just like, okay. Yeah, the way it's depicted, it's Scorsese it feels... Scorsese really flexing. Yeah, exactly. It feels very <laughs> Scorsese-style violence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, because I, I thought, I was like, yeah, like, that's kind of him showing his, you know, his little view of the evening, but then kind of then reverting back to the comedy and then just like, yeah, running away from the mob as just, you know, the town is just coming after you for, you know, for this entirely false thing. Um, so, but yeah, but this is like the third time I've seen this movie. Um, okay. Before we watched it, I remember thinking to myself that it had like a very punk rock sort of aesthetic and like style to it. There was something about it where, you know, the idea of punk rock being attributed to it made sense to me. So this time, mm-hmm. this time around, I paid more attention to the music and yeah, we, like you mentioned earlier, there is like this, a lot of classical stuff going on. Um, I think when the movie starts, we open on a piece that's very, just like this very energetic classical piece. But yeah, we we do get like one scene uh, that is within a uh, punk bar uh, where he is forced to get a mohawk. Uh, he does he doesn't actually get it. He just gets like a chunk of his hair shaved out. But this is also the scene where Scorsese makes his cameo, where he is like a yeah. spotlight operator. So I think it's interesting okay. that this is the movie that Scorsese. This is the scene that Scorsese chose to like place himself within. Interesting, I did not put that together because there was that scene is pretty frantic and so yeah i just didn't catch that particular cameo I, yeah i need to rewatch this movie because i feel like it's laced with a lot of small visual details like that yeah um, yeah that scene is crazy yeah he like talks to this really huge bouncer and he's like like trying to talk his way in there and he's like no it's mohawk night and then yeah i just he gets in there and then which yeah, sounds like, like the mo- <laughs> yeah which sounds like the bouncer is just bullshitting him like oh it's mohawk night that guy gets in and, uh, but no, it turns out it actually was Mohawk Knight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely Mohawk Knight. Yeah, I think that scene, yeah, felt very, very effective. Yeah, I just like, everyone in there is kind of just like, just moshing and just like, yeah, he's just like lost in there. And then he's trying to it's like plain, scream out to, 
It's playing bad brains and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking playing bad brains, which is dope. Yeah, and he's like trying to scream out to to the, to the lady and then the couple, and he just can't get it. Yeah. Also, yeah, the um, uh, not June. Um, Kiki has her friend that shows up has like is like super in like kind of I don't know I, gear. friend is a <laughs> well, yeah maybe friend. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Kiki. We we realize Kiki's a masochist. Uh, she's in a BDSM sort of relationship with this guy. I want to say the guy's name is Mort or something like that. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it is interesting. Like all these different like subcultures that Scorsese seems to be juggling in this depiction of Soho. Yeah, and it, is, uh, it feels kind of like he is definitely playing on it, like on a fear kind of thing, or at least for towards the end yeah it definitely plays into like the fear of just they are gonna be ruthless and they're gonna like catch this guy and it's all working towards the idea that this is that this man is in a foreign land even though he is a new yorker yeah and when he meets gail that's when i I, like i got really like nervous and uneasy because just like i almost felt like they weren't even having the same conversation like the way that he would mention something, and then she just mentioned something totally different. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, like this is just like and then, starting to like. And then <laughs> really at, at a certain point, it feels like he just kind of surrenders to that, and that he's just like, all right, yeah, she's yeah. talking about something completely unrelated to what I'm talking about. Yeah, she's like talking about her ice cream truck, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to get into a story time. So, yeah, you said this reminded me of some experiences you've had. Tell me about that, because yeah, I want to know. Well. It's one of those things where this night is is very compact, where just all hell and all of the bad bad luck in New York is falling onto Paul. And I definitely haven't had nights that were quite as extreme as this, that you know included like a death like this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Super, I would super hope morbid, not. But yeah, yeah, no. But like the kind of being at someone's house, you're there to see someone on a date, but they aren't quite ready, or you know, they're still on route or something yeah Yeah. or like then they might be like you know on the way back from work or something like that and it's just like oh like okay i'm I'm talking to this person's friend and yeah like this the foreign space and just like that uneasiness leading into the night was very relatable and that's what i that's what i resonated with the most like before it gets like really wacky and you know paul gets turned into a plaster sculpture and then you know gets saved and you know that that stuff is really animated but you know Nothing quite that, but yeah, being in weird foreign places that are as much as, you know, a friend of a friend's house that, you know, you're kind of just waiting there. I thought this movie nailed that that feeling really well. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah, traveling kind of like, yeah, just wanting to get home and kind of calculating the time and just like, yeah, being in the rain in San Francisco and just being like, yeah, like... I'm like a dollar short just to get on the bus <laughs> yeah. or something like that. And so, yeah, I think it gets a lot of those very relatable, small, concrete details well that like compound and start to build. And once they all stack, it just like it falls down in this really spectacular way where, yeah, yeah it's just like this whole mob chasing him and they're like, and they're in an ice cream truck. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just great. So I would say the first 30 minutes were the most, the part that resonated with me the most. And it's funny that you mentioned that they were possibly plagiarized and there's a lawsuit about yeah it. so the first 30 minutes are largely plagiarized from some sort of like npr program uh this monologue that someone did and huh. the person took it to a lawsuit and the lawsuit was settled and uh i, I guess the actual 
the the person who did the suing, whose name I don't know, who doesn't doesn't get a credit on the movie, <laughs> uh, they said they were paid handsomely for it. So oh, I guess it worked okay. out. Huh, but, trippy. But yeah, I guess someone actually looked it up and it would have taken Paul an hour and 47 minutes to walk home because um, <laughs> it's about like a little over five miles. Uh, yeah, that's that's like yeah, deep Richmond back to SF State. So yeah, <laughs> oh boy. If I was if I if I was walking back in but the days like, where I didn't want, <laughs> I've had nights where I've like walked home pretty late because I, you know, and so yeah, we're both from San Francisco for people listening. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I've had those nights where I've walked home, and you know, it was still dark and the sun was coming up by the time I got to my neighborhood. But yeah, I love those nights where. You go out with one plan and things come out totally different. So, like, I have two of those nights in San Francisco. One was where... So, I, I sh- had an apartment. I shared it with a roommate. Um, I was going out to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, which is, like, a free festival that happens in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. I was only planning on going out for, like, a couple hours. So, I didn't even lock my door. So, like, <laughs> because I was like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll be right back. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I go out, I go to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, I run into this girl that I was, like, kind of interested in, and we end up going to a friend's house after, uh, the concert, we party, they say that they know someone who owns a mansion in San Francisco that is holding a party, we go to that, we drink absinthe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're like i'm like rolling around on the ground at some point because Skin i'm weed. i'm so yeah. <laughs> incredibly drunk uh and then we i think we go back to a different friend's house and like collapse in a bed and then the next morning i wake up i walk home i go to my door and my door's unlocked and i was like oh shit <laughs> like i totally forgot um another situation i had was uh I was, like, at a friend's place. We were just, like, smoking, watching YouTube videos, as you do. Um, I walk down to where my bus is. It's not coming for another, like, 20 minutes. And it's right next to a Safeway. So I'm like, all right, I'll just go in the Safeway and get a snack while I'm waiting. I'm super fucking high. So I decide to get one dozen donuts. Um, <laughs> yes. I go out to the bus stop. The The bus driver pulls up. I get on. And she says, oh, you got donuts? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want one? And she was like, yeah. So I give the bus driver a donut. I go to the back of the bus. I have 11 donuts now. Um, this woman next to me is like looking at my donuts. And I'm like, you want a donut, don't you? And she was like, yeah, can I have one? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. So like her and her boyfriend are like chatting about like which donut to get. And they like take one of my donuts. The guy next to me is like looking at me and I'm like, you want a donut too, yeah. huh? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And so I give I him, like, of course. So I give him one. Then he pulls a, the other guy next to me, I'm like, do you want one? He's like, uh, he's like, yeah, sure. So I give him one. Um, one of the guys pulls a, a bottle of Jack Daniels out of his pocket and he's like, hey, do you want a drink? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I started drinking on the back of this bus. The girl like, oh, I gave goodness. a donut to. She's like, hey, do you want to smoke? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so she pulls out a pipe, and I'm getting high on the back of this bus. We're all just eating donuts. Um, it's like, oh, Muni, thank you. <laughs> yeah. The guy who gave me the Jack Daniels is like, uh, he gets a phone call, and <laughs> he gets off the phone. And he's like, hey, uh, I just found out my roommates are throwing a party. Does anyone want to come? And I looked at the guy next to me, and we're like, yeah, sure. 
So we end up going to this guy's house. It's very clear that this guy is not the popular roommate, probably because he <laughs> invites people to parties that he met on the bus. But yeah, um, yeah, no. Way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we end up at this party. It's this super fucking dark house. Uh, I don't know why. Like none of the lights are on, um, and it's in the hates, like kind of by Amoeba, and. The, I just remember they're like we're like chatting with these people. I'm still carrying around like nine donuts. Uh, we're chatting with these people in the <laughs> living room, and in the kitchen, there's this like punk dude who's like grabbing beer bottles and he's like shattering beer bottles in the kitchen. Oh god! And we're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Like one of the dudes I'm talking to is like, I'm about to beat this guy up. Like I don't know what this guy's problem is. The punk dude comes into the living room. He starts grabbing wooden chairs and like breaking them over his knee and stuff. This is and uh yeah these girls that we're talking to like we're talking to these girls and we're like what's so what's this guy's deal and they're like oh him he lives here so this dude's just trashing his own house uh, <laughs> and then so like we're like all right we need to get the fuck out of here so like a bunch of us just like go out into the street and we're just like chatting in the street um i find out one of those people at the party that i was chatting to like lives two blocks away from me so we decide to like walk all the way home together on the way home he's like hey do you want to like hang out and get high at this point it's probably like 3 30 in the morning <laughs> and i was like eh. like i i wanted to just keep saying yes to the night and like seeing where it would yeah. take me but i was like you know i got i just gotta fucking go to bed uh, yeah that's what it was <laughs> that was good it was gonna turn into a, a scorsese film yeah. <laughs> a few more yeses it would have been no good yeah yeah that's uh that's fantastic yeah the only thing i have like like not even similar, but I've had like Halloweens where, you know, it's always like that you're chasing that always that better party, you know, where you're, like, a group of people are like, yeah, this party's all right, but you know, there's one a little bit better. And, you know, and it's never quite like, you know, you're always kind of just traveling and in transit. And so, yeah, I've had some evenings where it's just like, like, I feel like we've been getting on the bus and off the bus or, you know, walking more than enjoying the actual of san francisco and so yeah when you get a night like that you just kind of want to just keep pressing the button yeah and keep going. <laughs> it's like what where will the night take me like let's find out just say yes yeah to seriously it. especially especially if you're like young don't have work the next day you're like fuck it why not yeah so actually i did have another uh interesting night where like one night i was at home i was like not feeling too good feeling kind of depressed and i was like fuck it like i'm just gonna go to the pizza place down the street i'm gonna grab a slice sit there and just like enjoy being out of the house yeah. on the way home there's like a liquor store right next door so i grab some some beers to take home and like i'm walking past the pizza place again there's a guy sitting out front seems like he's he seems like he might be a homeless dude he's like um he's like hey can i buy one of those from you for a dollar and i'm like looking at the beer i bought some fi fancy beer and i was like these cost a little bit more <laughs> than a dollar but uh i'll just give you one so like i sit down with this guy give him a beer i'm drinking a beer and we're just sitting and chatting together um, he tells me he's like covered in like paint and stuff. He tells me he's an artist and, uh, like he asked what I do and I was like, Oh, I'm studying film. And he's like, um, Oh, you should come down to the beach. Like, uh, I, I surf down there and I know a bunch of surfers. You can like record us and maybe we can make like a little documentary or something. I'm like, all right, sure. Whatever. You know, just humoring this guy. He's got a little dog with him. <laughs> uh, so He's like, hey, man, I'll smoke you out. Like, I got a friend who lives around the corner. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'm supposed to meet up with him later. and We're going to get high. And I was like, all right, sure, whatever. <laughs> so, so, cool. so we uh, 
we start he's like oh yeah he hasn't gotten to touch me with yet I'll, I'll let you know and so like we start walking around uh the neighborhood and there's some bars around there uh we meet these girls out front of this bar and he starts telling them about how he was in the navy and he like starts like pulling up his shirt and he's like showing him all his tattoos and stuff like that he's uh, <laughs> and i'm like okay this guy's a little weird like i don't know if i want to be around this guy anymore that's a real <laughs> port boy that's yeah real... <laughs> and then um this dude on a bike pulls up and the dude starts chatting with him and he's like hey uh he's like you surf down on the uh, at a ocean beach right and he's like yeah yeah i do and he's like yeah i seen you around there and they start chatting about surfing and stuff and then um the guy goes into the bar that we were at and he leaves his dog with me and this dude on the bike and the dude on the bike is like yeah i have no idea who that guy is i don't know how he knows me uh it's it's a little (laughs) creepy (laughs) and he was like hey uh do you go to sf state and i was like yeah and he's like do you go to he's like did you study film and i was like yeah i'm studying film right now he's like oh yeah i think we have a class together um (laughs) goodness he's like i'm having a party tomorrow you should come (laughs) and so i'm like all right sure and he's like how do you know this guy and I, i was like i don't um but, like, I guess I have to watch his dog because he left it out here. And he was like, if I were you, I would just fucking run. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just, like, left. This guy on the bike was, like, watching the dog when I left. Um, but, yeah, I ended up going to this dude's party the next day. And he told me that, like, the guy had gone into the bar, like, threw his backpack at someone um, behind the oh, bar. Geez. And started, like, playing pool with some people who didn't want him playing pool. And then he got kicked out. Um, oh, yeah, it was a bad time, but um, I met someone and ended up going to a party the next day. So it's all good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I miss about being in San Francisco. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> good characters. Good characters. Yeah. But yes, er, er, you will meet some some people that will throw backpacks, and so you gotta, <laughs> yeah. gotta be aware. So should we just do uh, what are you watching lately? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, have you been watching anything good this week, Daniel? Um, this week I watched Johnny Mnemonic, the Keanu Reeves movie, uh, which is not a good movie, but it's also an incredible movie. Um, okay. Okay. (laughs) So it's, it's a cyberpunk. Do you know anything about Johnny Mnemonic? No. Yeah. This thing, Keanu Reeves has a very deep filmography. And so I I consider that one of those deep cuts that I have not (laughs) taken the time to search out but it's a it's a 90s movie it precedes the matrix and it's probably the reason okay. he got the matrix because it's a, a okay yeah okay i've heard about yeah this. it's yeah, a I cyberpunk know. movie um it's got a ridiculous cast it's like him henry rollins uh takeshi katano um let me let okay. me look up the huh. cast um udo kier is in it he's like in a bunch of weird like bad cult movies uh, yeah, yeah. Dina, that name is definitely familiar. Dina right? Meyer, Ice T, Dolph Lundgren. Ooh. <laughs> uh-huh. Ooh. Yeah, it's a very strange cast, and it's a list. Yeah, and I feel like <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I feel like the fact that it's '95 means that it has like kind of some shitty um, CG effects going on, but I feel like that just kind of adds to the cyberpunkness of the movie. Like it's kind of perfect. It like. I don't know, cyberpunk, it's so special when it comes out of the era that I think so many people nowadays attribute cyberpunk aesthetics to. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff is charming, you know? It, it's not super sleek, you know, it might not age perfectly, but it's definitely, like, it's fun. Like, I feel like a lot of contemporary, like, um, infatuation with cyberpunk 
is trying to replicate the aesthetics of the 90s, even though we have way better technology. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like, the interesting thing is this movie takes place in 2021. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's only it's only been enhanced by, like, Keanu Reeves, his, uh, his career since this movie, because it's like, now you're watching the guy who was in The Matrix and the guy who was in John Wick, and, like, it just makes this movie seem even more perfect somehow, uh, even though it's not very good. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Yeah, it's worth. I mean, we watched the um, the Japanese extended cut, so I'm I'm not sh- even sure how the theatrical cut compares. I think it just has a little bit of a uh, little bit less to cut uh, Takeshi Kitano, but um, yeah, it okay, was all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we also watched uh, the Devil and the Blacksmith, which is this movie that's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Um, I'm not sure what country it's from, but it starts off as like kind of just a normal folklore tale about um a man who has uh, a demon locked up in a cage and there's like a twilight zone episode that's kind of like this where like a man has the devil locked up and the devil is convincing someone else that he is not the devil and so it becomes a question of like do i let this man go like is he being tortured here unnecessarily or do i believe that he Mm. is the devil um, that sounds good. And this movie, like, it builds in a very... Oh, this movie feels like it was made for me. Like, the by the time we get to the end, it has escalated to such a degree that it is, like... I've been waiting for a movie like this. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but, like, there just aren't enough depictions of what this movie depicts. And it's okay. really fun. Um, yeah, go check it out. It's It's kind of like... It's kind of got a Pan's Labyrinthy vibe in the sense that it's like focusing on this little girl who's like kind of in over her head with these fantastical things. Um, but yeah, it's very good. Nice. I'll definitely check it out. Um, so yeah, what have you been watching lately? Um, well, this week I definitely got a lot back into Lovecraft Country. Oh, yeah. Like they had some some episodes that dipped in quality, and they've definitely had a lot of different themes and ideas kind of over the episodes. But they had one. In particular, this episode um, is called Meet Me in Daegu, and it takes entirely place in South Korea, and it's like this South Korean folklore, like Lovecraftian tale that's just like, uh, it's just so fantastic. Like, it's just like this really brutal, like bloody kind of like out there story that like just came out of totally out of left field because most of the most of the series has taken place in like Chicago in the 50s and has like, you know, some sci-fi things and some, you know, ghostly, you know, things kind of get involved in the plot. But this was just, like, a straight-up folklore, like, like I don't know, like a, kind of like a curse-gone-wrong story. And, yeah, like, it's a, a really strong standout episode that, like, kind of brought me back into the series. And, yeah, I've just been, like, kind of obsessed over it ever since that dropped a few weeks ago. Yeah, having seen only seen the first episode, that sounds really interesting. Um, I need to catch up yeah. on that. Yeah, it, uh, even, I think... It would be totally fine as like a standalone viewing if you just wanted to ignore every other episode. Like it's a good, just little, little singular story. Uh, been watching anything else? Um, no, I've been listening to this new group uh, called Spillage Village. Uh, this new hip hop. It's like a folk hip hop album. Mm. It's yeah, like outcast vibes. Like yeah, it's it's really dope. And yeah, like kind of getting back into listening to music and more albums this week this past couple of weeks which has been really nice all right 
But yeah, I definitely recommend that for all my hip-hop listeners out there. If you like some little out-of-left-field rap music that's very earthy and very hippie-centric. What was that name again? It's uh, cl- The group is called Spillage Village, Spillage and Village. the album is... Yeah, the album is called Spilligion. Okay. Yeah, it's it's super folky. Yeah, it's just a lot of love vibes, and so yeah, there's definitely a lot of shit going on, and so it's it's really refreshing to get like a a good love vibe hip hop yeah. album that isn't too aggressive, but also does have an edge to it that does certainly have like you know they're talking about real shit and current issues, but it's also like more about the flow of the music. Yeah, so I think that about wraps things up for Vague Zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, next week we're going to talk about the final Purge movie in the franchise. I can't believe we've we've made the it. The final, <laughs> aka the first Purge. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and well, I mean, after that we might dig into uh, the binge on Hulu, which is the parody, and also uh, a little bit of the show, maybe. Yeah. So should we do like? This last movie, and then kind of like just some like that movie, and then some supplementary things, just to kind of all wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe just a little bit of a like a what else is there out there, and a bit of a recap. For sure. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Yeah, because it's it's cool. Because I think my opinion of the franchise has definitely changed since we've talked about. Okay, it interesting. More. Yeah, I want to get into that. Yeah, definitely. And so yeah, Purge Election Year next time on Vague Zone. All right, stay tuned. See you next time. Thanks for listening.